Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Captain John Picard of the USS Commander Benjamin Sisko, the Federation Starfleet. Welcome to the greatest generation, Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast from a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica, and it is uh, it's Greatest Generations 2020 election special. <laughs> you might be oh no, you might be in People line. People trying to tune into this show to like to take a break from all that. You might be in line right now, looking for something to do with the next. 8 to 16 hours, depending on where you're at. Depending on how suppressed votes are in your state. Yeah. Yeah, we, Ben, we we famously, four years ago, uh, were, were <laughs> laughing all the way up to election day. Jokes. Yeah. Jokes by the, by the dozen. Jokes by the yeah. fistful were, were followed by very sad times. We fucked up. I wonder if you want to do it any differently. This time around. Uh, Do you have any regrets? Instead of arrogant self-assuredness, I'm approaching this one with a a little bit of humility. I feel like that was the, I mean, for you and me, arrogant self-assuredness is a totally new language. We should be taking on on Babel or something. Like, (laughs) I don't know. I I don't know anything about that. But uh, that was one of the times... Where we had it, and uh, I just, we're recording this episode many weeks ahead of when this will come out. I just put my ballot in the ballot box. Who even knows if there is an election? Yeah. <laughs> As of this recording. I mean, the, I've already voted. It's one of the exciting dangers of of a scheduling runway. I Yeah, I voted today, too. I, I put it into a Dropbox. I'm fairly certain was an authentic Dropbox, uh, <laughs> because that's how things are going now. You got to give some scrutiny to those drop boxes. I know. It could just be a, a man inside a cardboard box painted to say election drop box. <laughs> yeah, but he, he's really just a guy that loves eating pieces of paper. Yeah. Yeah. He goes, nom, 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 nom. Yeah, one, mm. of the, one of the paste eaters from our kindergarten class all groans up. <laughs> <laughs> Little Ralph Wiggum has a job in the... California State Republican Party. Yeah. <laughs> they taste like Bernie. I want to thank all our friends at DeSoto for all they've done, I think. We uh, we started a couple of, of fundraising apparatus uh, in order That's to... True. Uh, and and the, the, the uh, support behind both of those has been great and inspiring. I mean, I think we've both done on our own some things to help get out the vote. And yes. it's... And now we're just on the eve of it. It, it's yeah. it's gonna and you feel just weird. Wonder if it was enough, or I mean, I, I would hate to have done too much, right? I don't think I've ever done too much of anything, except <laughs> drink, I guess. Yeah. Even then, yeah. it is. It's nerve wracking. I'm I'm more nervous since you brought this up than I was before. See, I was hoping we could be here for our friends of Desoto to to make them feel better. I, I do too. I mean, I think that um, that's that's one thing I'm always gratified to hear from people when they say that we're providing a needed distraction mm-hmm. from from stuff. And and now we're really not doing that. Yeah, but I mean, it's also like probably the most important 
couple of days that we'll experience politically maybe in our lifetimes. Yeah. So um, I really hope uh, everyone is uh, able to vote that that can, and I hope that if you can, you get out there and do it. And uh, <laughs> don't vote for the fascist piece of shit that is the incumbent. There's a there's let's, a very let's not, let's not advance the mirror universe any further. There's a fairly obvious choice to be made here. Uh, it couldn't be any easier, I think, for for most of us. And it's just about yeah. getting out there and doing the thing. If if enough people who feel the way we do uh, just do it, uh, then we won't have anything to worry about. It's it's a numbers game. Perhaps fitting that today's episode of Greatest Gen is on the topic of a Mirror Universe episode. Right. And dedicated to Jerome Bixby, who was the original... He was he wrote Mirror Mirror for the original series. Yeah. What a legacy. Just a, a, a leather legacy, a cat suit <laughs> legacy. Goatees agonizers yeah he, he he gave us so much he really did if you go to uh hollywood forever cemetery you'll find his <laughs> uh his gravestone wrapped in latex and, uh, <laughs> uh, with it like a very suggestive kind of lean against uh, mm-hmm. another gravestone it's got exposed arms <laughs> We say this with love. Uh, Jerome Bixby, certainly one of the great creative minds behind. I mean, he wasn't just a, a Star Trek writer. He was a he was a science fiction writer generally and uh, really well regarded. So to him, the episode of Deep Space Nine is dedicated and to uh, to a better future. Hopefully starting very soon, we dedicate this episode of the greatest generation. So why don't we? Get on into it, Ben. I've powdered my legs. I'm, uh, I'm <laughs> pulling on uh, the tight leather pants of the Mirror Universe, and, and I'm ready to record. Yeah, I just never took mine off from <laughs> the last time we recorded because it just seemed like too much trouble. Hopefully but, you uh, won't hear that in the mic. Uh, yeah. That's the thing about leather pants. They're so loud. They're louder than you'd think. <laughs> Yeah, and you're always having having to explain it because people think it's a fart, and you're like, no, it's the pants. Right, right. I'm just trying to slide over this Nagahide booth seat in this diner. <laughs> it's incompatible with my pants. Yeah, leather on tucked leather, uh, never a good combination. Let's get into it, Ben. Uh, it's Deep Space Nine, Season 7, Episode 12, The Emperor's New Cloak. <laughs> Quark's jelly, Adam. Very jelly of what appears to be a budding romance between Julian and Esri. Have you ever seen anything so disgusting? But he's also the bartender. And I was thinking a lot about this during this scene. Do you think it's easier as a bartender to have a crush on on a customer or customers than it is for a customer to have a crush on a bartender or a barista or or what have you you know like at any point quark could go up there and and like ask if they wanted any more uh popcorn shrimps (laughs) or or something like it seems like you've you can do things 
activities or interruptions that could that could make you feel better could at least make you feel like you uh you aren't just passively watching a love interest be uh <laughs> be smitten by dr bashir you could go up and say uh refill your drinks what were you drinking again bashir what was that just you know serve as a reminder to to Esri what she's getting herself into. I didn't think Esri and Bashir was going to be a thing. I thought she pretty strongly turned him down several episodes ago. I mean, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but we don't get much more than what Quark is paranoid might be happening in this episode because we leave the station rather swiftly. I Quark is like looking at them but he could clearly be eavesdropping he's not he's just describing them physically to odo and odo's like do you want me to stick an ear on their table i could do it right now i've become drinkware before quark you know this it would take nothing for me to do but i'm not gonna do it for you because i hate you slash love you We're two sides of the same coin, Quark, but me helping you would ruin all of that. This kind of jealousy spell gets broken when Rom enters the bar with some news about Grand Nagus Zek. He's 12 days late from a five-day work trip. This is, uh, I don't know, when you're the leader of a world, I kind of feel like the moment a missing person becomes an emergency should be greater than 12 days. <laughs> Yeah, you don't want your, like, what what you envision is that they have to, like, release his schedule to the media and then, you know, explain when there are discrepancies in that schedule from what he actually does. You would think that it would have reached Quark's attention if the Nagus had been incommunicado with everyone for a week. Yeah, I mean, it really speaks to the kind of latitude a Grand Nagus gets, you know? Wouldn't it be nice to have that kind of privacy? (laughs) I I mean, I can't even imagine. (laughs) I mean, even a single day without anyone up in your shit would be, I mean, I wouldn't even know what to do with that. Yeah, it would be, it would be so nice. (laughs) Speaking of privacy, Adam, we get a pretty intimate scene with Quark and his prayer bust. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's... uh, bribing the celestial exchequer blessed exchequer whose greed is eternal where did the slips go because it's sort of like a piggy bank situation he's sticking slips in he's making prayers but then it's unclear where the slips are going they must be going in there somewhere but is it who comes and collects is it like the the shrine at at a at certain restaurants where there's like uh, food and cigarettes laid out. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? I don't know. Somebody's going to come get the, the food and cigarettes eventually, right? I mean, you'd think. Otherwise, there'd just be a growing pile of food and cigarettes. That's nothing you want at a restaurant. You wouldn't think that Ferengi would go in for a bribery scheme where the benefit can't be demonstrated directly, right? Right. So this was, this was a weird scene. But uh, yeah, he's praying for... You know, patrons with money to spend to keep coming to his bar. And also, by the way, like, if uh, if he could keep uh, 
moving the ball f- downfield with Esri, that would be great too. I don't know, Quark. I feel like you need to move your own ball. You got to do something. <laughs> yeah. This, this, don't just sit there. Yeah. Bashir is depending on that. <laughs> Speak of the devil and she will appear, Adam, because uh, he gets a ring on his doorbell. Come in. And it's like killer teen Esri on the other side. Yeah. She's got the late 90s blue eyeshadow. She's got the leather. New jacket. He's, she's got a more aggressively pixie haircut happening. <laughs> yeah. Kind of a biker pixie look. Right. Biker pixie dream girl. <laughs> she gets Quirk up against a wall with a knife at his neck, and he confesses his love uh, and uses the name Dax, which she flips back in his face, which he interprets as, oh, we're doing role-playing. I thought that that was like something you spice a relationship up with, but I see that we are launching our relationship with role-play. That's cool. That's totally cool. Uh, your clothes, the knife, this aggressive attitude, it's all role-playing. Uh, call me schmun. Except it's not that. It's not that at all. It's, it's always awkward when one person is doing role-playing and the other person isn't. <laughs> it's... Very humiliating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she no-butts him, and uh, she says that the, the Nagus is in a great deal more trouble than he thinks, and she's got the honey stick to prove it. She plugs it into his computer, and uh, there's a vlog from <laughs> Grand Nagus Zek telling Quirk that he has gone to the MU. And he will need a cloaking device to exchange for his freedom. He's, he's kind of a, a prisoner over there, except, yeah. you know, I got to say, unlike a lot of prisoner videos where you hold up the newspaper and you <laughs> and you say you've been treated fairly by your captors or whatever, uh, he seems fine. He seems just fine. Yeah, I mean, he is blinking in Morris code, also bring beetle snuff. Mm. Yeah, you know he's got to be jonesing for that beetle snuff yeah, with the, the sweat. It's, it's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> The sweats and the mood swings, the nausea. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. The The next 24 hours are going to be the hardest 24 <laughs> hours you've ever experienced, but it's worth it to get him through this. No clinics. No methadone. Selling a cloaking device to, the, to anyone in the mirror universe seems just like a galactically bad idea, right? Doing business there seems extremely dumb. Yeah. It doesn't seem worth it at all. I mean, I can see where the temptation would come from, right? Like, he recently was part of the give Ferengi women the right to earn profit and conduct commerce movement, which doubled the market of Ferenginar, and now he could do it again. He could double the market of the entire universe. The only reason to do business in the mirror universe would be if you've already extracted all the profit you could from the prime universe and that doesn't seem even close to having happened yeah it does not seem like the ferengi have reached total market saturation does it no no it <laughs> i doesn't. mean that's that's its own that's its own nightmare universe i feel like <laughs> quark and rom really get to work on this plan there's a there's a klingon martok's ship is parked outside and uh and they've boarded it and so we cut from the exterior to the interior where they've emerged from the ship with a cloaking device and the great part about a cloaking device is that it itself is cloaked (laughs) and i thought 
I thought they should have never decloaked this. I thought it should always be cloaked. Yeah, there. It, I guess it's just that it's bumping around. It it decloaks yeah. a tiny bit periodically, but uh, I mean the the effect was good, and I thought that the gag was very funny. Like I I thought that this was a great little scene. They have to. It's super heavy. They're complaining about how heavy it is. They have to put it down at one point. It's great. Like Max Gradenchik and Armin Shimmerman really practiced this for a couple of days because it's hard to mime weight, especially when you need to coordinate your movements with someone else. Tell him to my hernia. They do a great job with it. Yeah. And uh, they almost get caught by Cisco and Martok. The wheels could come off this at any moment, and you really you really expect Odo to be onto this in a way that he isn't. It's a scene where I think both Quark and Rom are lucky that they're Ferengi because when Martok and and Cisco confront them, the question on their minds has to be, is this suspicious or are they just being Ferengi? <laughs> and they and they ultimately decide that they're just Ferengi. Yeah. And that's the thing that gives them cover. So they get this device to a cargo bay that has a transporter in it, and they're getting ready to beam to the Mirror Universe with Mirror Esri. And I guess she's just going to take it initially, but they have to hop onto the pad because Martok comes storming into the cargo bay. I'll have you hanging by your ears. Knowing what has, has happened. And uh, it's a beam out just in the nick of time. I love how this shot is composed. It feels like Jurassic Park to me. And Martok <laughs> is a T-Rex, like, stomping <laughs> through a parking lot full of cars. Because he's just, like, going through the cargo in the cargo bay. How fun must it be to have all these, like, lightweight, unfilled you know, Rubbermaid yeah. bins full of nothing and just, yeah. like, tear ass through them. <laughs> like, it's, uh, a great It's scene. also one of those reset problems, too, where you're like, okay, we got one, reset it, and then, like, <laughs> guys come in and stack everything up again. Yeah. Back to yeah. one. When I was in film school, we did a film that was set in a factory, and the AD was a first-timer, and he'd scheduled the entire shoot without thinking of the fact that we were making several different sets out of like a lot of the same boxes and mm -hmm. shelving units. And, and so he'd like scheduled it for actor convenience, but what he didn't realize is that we had to break down and rebuild several sets like four or five times over the course of a oh, no. seven day shoot. So we would like build a setup and like take a million photographs of it, shoot like a two, two-word dialogue scene and then break it down, build a different set, shoot a couple of scenes there, and then break it down and rebuild the first set, just hoping that it would match based on our photos. It was crazy. What a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> I was in... I was a, uh, a first AD exactly once. That was all <laughs> the experience I needed to know that that was not a job I ever wanted again. It's a hard job, man. It's like yeah. all of the... All of the fiddly organizational stuff and also everyone's mad at you because you're riding their ass because the schedule is fucked. It's a special person that does it and I have the maximum amount of respect for anyone yeah. who is. That I that is not my kind of temperament. I have huge admiration for the for the folks that do that work. Let me just say that uh, we're not going to make our day if I'm the first AD. <laughs> 
Yeah, don't, uh, you, you thought we were going to get three pages today? No. <laughs> yeah, but you know what everyone's going to say? Really chill set. Very stress-free. <laughs> uh, they materialize in a very similar, you know, speaking of similar sets, Adam, they, yeah. the, the two Ferengi are like, it didn't work. The only thing that changes is that Murtok isn't here. Right. It's uh, it's big fun when Vic Fontaine storms into the room John Woo style <laughs> with, a with a couple of phasers and he's being chased by Bashir who is pissed. No wonder they call it the alternate universe. Dual wield Vic Fontaine is a pretty rugged look. It doesn't make any fucking sense. And I kind no. of like that the episode makes fun of the idea of this making sense several times like it sort of makes us rom yeah like the writers anticipated you and i would be making a podcast about this episode 20 something years later and going like well if vic fontaine is a hologram in one universe and a real guy in the other what does that mean and just had Rom, the dumbest guy in the show, be the one asking all those questions all through the episode. I thought you two were dead. We are! It's a moment that that seems aimed at Star Trek convention Q&A portions. <laughs> like, aggressively. Like, yeah. th- like this, scene, this scene comes on TV and they ruin conventions for five years afterwards. <laughs> Brutal. Bashir is so mad at, at Vic Fontaine that that he that he shoots him dead. Yeah, and he looks corporeal. That looks like a real death. You think in the mirror universe, Bashir is a scat enthusiast? <laughs> Can uh, we ask that at a, at a Star Trek convention? <laughs> that's great. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I like Al Bashir better. They get thrown in the brig with Ezri. <laughs> And uh, Captain Smiley and Mirror Bashir come down to gloat about this. They're calling Ezri a traitor because she, like the the cloaking device was intended for the Mirror Universe Wharf character, the Regent, and uh, right. they consider that to be her kind of betraying her species. I'm not a traitor. Smiley evokes the name of Jadzia Dax in this scene, and it would have kicked so much ass for her to be in this episode. Oh, man. That's what Disco would do, I feel like. Disco, no question, puts Terry Farrell in this episode. Yeah, but I feel like also the producers of Disco wouldn't have burned the bridge. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So they would have that opportunity. Yeah, I mean, they only had a toxic workplace for season one. Yeah, right. And they, they they were like, oh, that's not popular anymore? Okay, we'll change. Yeah, yeah. O'Brien proposes... And by change, I mean fire the people that were toxic. <laughs> yeah. O'Brien uh, sees this as a pretty simple choice for the gang and the brig. Uh, you can either go home where you came from, uh, or you can rescue Zek without the cloaking device. Either way, the cloaking device stays. Right. And at this moment in time, I thought, what has Zek ever done for Rom and Quark? And I'm just going to stick a pin in that question uh-huh. because <laughs> I thought th- I, I thought whoever wrote this episode really knew that that, that was going to be an incisive question to ask right up front, and it needed an answer. 
Speaking of Zek, we get a pretty fun scene with Intendant Kira locked up with him, umoxing those lobes, but then like getting the sense that there may not be a cloaking device on, on its way, like that there's a risk that whatever his plan is might fall through. And she wrenches the hell out of that loaf. If Cork and Ram don't screw things up. I feel like Zek is this is the kind of person that when he goes to the salon to get a pedicure, the uh, the person puts on gloves and maybe doubles <laughs> doubles them up. <laughs> and when I watched this scene, I was like, I don't think Zek would be insulted if Kira put on a couple of gloves before digging in there. Yeah, those ears look gnarly. It's a real mess. I was really impressed with how durable the loaf is when she yeah. gri- grips that ear. That's like, she really kung fu grips it and it doesn't rip or seem to, like, you never see them touching loaf on these shows. And I, I guess I've always assumed because of that, that the loaf must be pretty delicate. I guess it's not. I wonder how much more expensive rubberized action figures are than plastic ones because god if if there's a zek action figure and i think we're sure that there is like why aren't his big floppy dumbo ears soft and pliable (laughs) yeah why not kenner it's it's clear from this scene <laughs> does, does Kenner make the toys? I forget. Kenner sounds like a slur, like a like a Karen or something, you know, like, like a derisive, yeah, yeah, a derisive name. It's clear from the scene that Zek is playing both sides. Like he's not a prisoner; he's getting umoxed. Yeah, he's he's pretty happy to be where he is. Yeah. To be quite honest about it, I was in a pair. Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my state. Back on the brig on Terok Noir, the question I asked earlier is answered because Mesri is the one to ask him, why are you even doing this? This is a dangerous place for you. What's in it for you? This is nuts. It's a suicide plan. And Quark tells her that it makes as little sense to him as it does to her. Something, something, obligation? (laughs) Yeah, he's like, shut up, convention question asker. <laughs> this is like I feel like this is an episode that drops moments like this repeatedly. It began with for some reason Vic Fontaine it continues <laughs> here and yeah. then it, it continues on in a few other scenes down the road that this is an episode teaching you how to watch it and it's saying don't take me seriously. Yeah, this is a fun silly episode and it's not that jokey but it is like light feeling. It's both yeah. light and dark because it's so dark. Yeah. How, how do they do it? Scary, isn't it? There are a lot of uh, scenes in this episode where a door opens and we hear some gunfire out in the hallway and then a surprising character comes in. And in this scene, that character is Brunt. You're kidding me, right? I feel like it's been four, maybe even five episodes since we saw Jeffrey Combs. Always fun to see him. This is like a, uh, this is a, a very Mirror Universe edition of Brunt because he is... He's got a heart. He's got a conscience. You two must be hungry. I've got food and drink waiting for you on the ship. A tortured conscience, I might even say. He's there to rescue them. I love seeing this performance gear out of Jeffrey Combs. It's a gear you know he has, but he so rarely is able to express 
on this show among his his Miriam characters, you know? His <laughs> his Miriam characters, yeah. Uh, they're they're a Miriam I'm, I'm, of them. I'm bringing that back. <laughs> <laughs> We're making that greatest gen canon. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and and Deborah instead of Plethora, right? <laughs> They make their escape in a Ferengi shuttle. Brunt has made some uh, some fried tube grubs that Ram is snacking on and trying to wrap his mind around how the mirror universe works. You know, if up is down and left is right, shouldn't these tube grubs be poisonous? But but Brunt Why is isn't nice. Why is the A so button he- on the left side instead of the right? <laughs> yeah. Why are the Why is the analog stick? directly across when it should be up and to the left. It's all, there's a lot of questions, and, uh, and nobody Ram likes them. Ram doesn't even understand his own universe. So so sticking him in the mirror universe is just totally confounding. Yeah, totally. Brunt is an, uh, one of a parade of Ferengi that have a major crush on mirror universe, Ezri. And uh, when she... and. And Rom go off to uh, to take a nap before the rest of their adventure. He confesses this to Quark, and uh, and Quark's like, "Well, why aren't you doing anything about it?" And they both like make eye contact with the camera for a moment, and then Brunt says uh, something about she's very particular about the men she'll she'll date. It seems pretty hurtful. They're both Ferengi. Mesri doesn't date Ferengi. So it would seem. Um, on the bridge of Worf's ship, he is, uh, he's trying beetle snuff. <laughs> and uh, he loves it. It c- clears those sinuses right out. Both the Alliance and the Rebellion have a, a pretty well-funded campaign against beetle snuff. <laughs> beetle snuff. Not even once, <laughs> the, uh, the commercials say. But that doesn't stop Worf. Yeah. It shows, it shows a normal person on the left and then a Ferengi on the right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> your teeth get all sharp, your ears get huge, your skin turns this gross orange color. Yeah. Pretty bad. The wrinkly ass nose. Garrick in this universe is uh, is continuing his worm tongue routine. Uh, really, really smarmy, really in Worf's ear about things. The guy behind the guy. Or aspiring to be that. I mean, he, he, he wants to be the guy behind the guy. Yeah, he just can't get out of his own way. He also wants to be the guy behind Intendant Kira with a knife in her back. It's taken us over two years to track down that treacherous wench. He wants Worf's permission to to right. do away with her. But Worf is like, is the type of guy that will keep somebody locked up if he thinks, you know, he's like, he's like a, he's a prisoner hoarder. He, mm-hmm. he can come up with potential future uses of this junk that he has just lying around everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) 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 (laughs)
like the characters on the show and the people watching the episode, this is a plan that just doesn't hang together. <laughs> Long odds on this one, but they pull up. They're coming into close contact with the Regent's ship. We see Worf trying on some some like knuckle duster kind of fingerless gloves on on his bridge and he has like a subordinate come over to to take a punch to the face to to see how they work i really got survivors vibes from Worf's review of the knuckle dusters well what do you think mr Worf? good tea nice fit god the first time you put on uh punching gloves and get that first punch in <laughs> so nice but then they never feel quite the same uh, after you wash them yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's 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 like new socks, you know? Like that that first time you wear them is great, but they'll never be like that again. I always said if I were ever able to be uh, super wealthy, I'd uh I'd punch a guy in the face with new gloves every day. <laughs> yeah. This is one of the many reasons that the wealthy are <laughs> destroying the environment. They're just throwing so many gloves into the Pacific garbage patch. Yeah. All the studded gloves uh, <laughs> clogging our waterways. It's a real shame. So the gang beams over to the cruiser uh, with the with the cloaking device. And, like, there isn't even any tension in the moment because immediately it's revealed to be a double cross. Uh-oh. You're not going to give us the Nagus, are you? Mesri is on Mira Kira's side of things and we know this because they have a smooch in front of everyone and uh in 1998 whenever you have two women kissing it is a, a scandal yeah. right Mesri's uh, very particular about the kind of men she dates they have to be women <laughs> right <laughs> but you know now would be a great time to just go ahead and kill quark and rom because Worf has what he needs right what reason is there to keep him alive no. Instead of killing them, uh, they're going to be locked into a different brig. Just It's just one brig to another, this whole damn episode. Yeah. And yeah. this is where they come back into contact with Zek, their, their beloved Nagus. They've finally been reunited. You're not going to tell your mother about the intention of me, are you? He tells them the backstory for how he ended up here. Turns out that uh, Rom left the plans for an interdimensional transporter just laying around yeah like like rom would do and the nagus took them uh, made the little beer can transporter that we've seen from time to time right. the device that that takes you between dimensions he made one for himself and then he went it takes you between dimensions and it enables you to have a chicken sitting straight up on your grill right <laughs> The interdimensional transporter uh, releases some steam into the carcass, and that helps yeah. uh, keep the meat moist. Yeah, bastes the interdimensional uh, cavity of the chicken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Zek is doing that thing where he like betrayed Rom's trust, but is acting like it was Rom's fault that he did that. Like, I'm a scorpion. I've, of course I stung you on the back, Rom the frog. <laughs> You're an idiot. You live to be taken advantage of. <laughs> right. So, yeah, he, he had this whole scheme about opening up the mirror universe as a new market. Much, I mean, it, it's it's very similar to opening up the G-Quad as a new market. It's the same, 
It's the same Ferengi avarice that unwittingly stirs up a hornet's nest kind of shit. And uh, they agree at at the end of this scene. They need to figure out how to break out of this space jail, which seems like a pretty far-fetched idea at this point. It seems as though in order to escape, they're going to need help from the outside and everyone outside the brig is on Worf's team. Except. to To a certain degree. Except for Brunt. Who has just right. got a real soft spot in his heart for Quark and Rom. He thinks they deserve better. Brunt's the wild card. <laughs> and it's Brunt who tries to convince Mesri to get Quark and Rom freed. Uh, he doesn't get very far in his convincing before uh, Kira puts a knife through him for the suggestion. Yeah. And it's a real turnoff for Mesri. <laughs> she doesn't like to see this. She was partners with Brunt. Yeah. That probably limited her profit earning potential or something. Yeah, RSVP Brunt. So they have a bit of a disagreement. Kira wants Mesri to clean up the dead body of Brunt, and Mesri flips that shit right back at her, which, uh, you know, Intendant Kira is always delighted by somebody being kind of spicy with her. So this goes over pretty well. She's not afraid of anyone, is she? Not even me. I mean, ordinarily, I would agree with Kira. Like, if one person cooks, the other person cleans. Uh-huh. It's, that's only being fair. Right. But, uh, Unless you didn't ask that person to cook, and them right. cooking kind yeah. of, like, actually fucked your shit up in a big way. <laughs> Put another way, uh, me, every night of the week. <laughs> so you're familiar with this dynamic. Right. If you had forgotten about Smiley and Bashir up until this point, uh, you are reminded that they are in control of the Little D. Yes, they're on their way. They're inbound. And uh, this is great because Regent Worf is, uh, has got this new cloaking device and he's excited to try it out, but it's not working yet. Garrick sort of sniveling in the back corner with a iPad and a bunch of... Klingons is uh, kind of nervous about the fact that it's not working, but uh, this actually is great for Rom and Quark because it gives Rom a bit of leverage because he actually does know how to set this thing up. Rom thinks it's leverage, but he's never left the ball kicking machine and he just repeatedly sticks quarters in it expecting a different result <laughs> because... He goes up there and he and he fixes the cloaking device and he's like, cool, so we have a deal to to get ourselves freed right yeah no that's not the deal you're still in the ball kicking machine you gotta do like the bad guy in speed where you have like a a device that can disable the cloak at any moment until they beam you off the ship see i'm in charge here i drop this stick huh and they pick your friend up with a sponge did you get the sense that it was rom that sabotaged the the machine though or was that somebody else I think Rom even said it. He, Rom said he threw his sabot into the into the gears. Hence the word sabotage. It sort of seemed to me like he was claiming credit for that, but I didn't totally believe that he could or would, <laughs> you know? Rom is very specifically smart and capable in a way that I have a hard time believing that he would be cunning enough to pull this off. Yeah, exactly. 
Well, no, I mean, cunning enough to to take the credit for something that someone else did. I, I actually do believe that he sabotaged the thing. Oh. But I don't think he's playing three-dimensional chess or even two-dimensional chess. I think... Linear chess? Is that yeah. one-dimensional chess? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. The pieces are very flat. Yeah, so they're, they're about to get, like, hypo-sprayed with some kind of super painful virus that boils her organs by Garrick when the, the Sabo grind the gears and the it, it like knocks out power all over the ship right it's that yeah. it doesn't just knock out the cloak so this leads to a little bit of a scuffle there's bangers getting dropped there's combat taking place garrick winds up getting a hypo spray on him this was the chekhov's virus scene that i didn't see coming i was actually very surprised that garrick dies here yeah when I looked around at the at the group that, that Garrick was holding up, I was like, I don't like Mayhurdu's chances one bit. <laughs> I, think, I think we're going to see that guy's guts boil, and it's going to be super gross. I thought we were going to see some guts boil, to be honest. I, yeah. I was pretty surprised that they didn't even bother implying that they just he just like falls down out of frame and we don't even hear him like yelling or anything w slash r slash t gut boiling (laughs) uh it's all tell and no show yeah very disappointing sad so on the little d there's a growing anxiety because uh they haven't picked they're there to look for the ferengi ship and they haven't picked it up yet uh, but what they also don't know is that they're being uh, tailed by the regent ship. It's one of those like unmarked Crown Victorias behind you that you don't really <laughs> suspect is a cop car that actually is. Yeah. That's the situation on the Little D. And when that thing decloaks, it is like slam on the brakes to get yourself under the speed limit time. Right, which is which is a dead giveaway, as they say. Right. <laughs> Yeah, you got to let off the gas or maybe like feather in a little bit of emergency brake yeah. if you've got that kind of car. The cloaking device sabotage disables the the Klingon ship though and the little D is just nailing it. It's it's a rain of phaser fire coming down on the ship. It's like a contra bad guy at the end like you <laughs> like just just pounding it with the spread gun. Yeah. How the fuck do you jump around that many fireballs? It's impossible. <laughs> Worf's temper tantrum here is pretty great. I knew I should have killed those two Ferengi the moment they came aboard. Bashir and Smiley get on get on the FaceTime and uh, suggest a an unconditional surrender and a prepared to be boarded. And uh, Worf has to admit he is beaten. This isn't the first time that Worf has lost and lost big in the Mirror Universe, right? I feel like this is kind of a thing. <laughs> Even the Mirror Universe version of Worf, the stock is low. <laughs> He's kind of a Dr. Claw figure in the Mirror Universe. Like, he always has these <laughs> grand plans. <laughs> yeah, and he has never that, actually work. He has that shitty cat that's always bugging at the camera. What he needs is someone he can trust. <laughs> Someone with a mind like a steel trap who can remember everything because that's the role I play in this universe. A photographic memory completely free of lobotomized brain matter. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame Worf doesn't have an ally of that kind. You just can't get good help in the mirror universe. Yeah, like the intendant slinks off the the second she sees that he's beat. She goes and has a uh, little standoff with Esri in the in the hallways. Like, this is such a moment of. I feel like this happens in every mirror universe episode. Like we we reach a climax and a confrontation between characters and the big takeaway is uh is one of the characters you thought was bad having some seed of conscience <laughs> moment yeah, like since when <laughs> meaning that there were never really any stakes at all yeah in the 40 minutes that came before you just know that they like originally turned that script in with kira getting iced by esri at the end of the episode and yeah and uh, what's his nose was like, no, I want to, I want to leave the opportunity open that we get to get Kira back in the leather pants right. at least one more time before the before the series is over. I actually have a spec script for a DS9 movie set in the Mirror Universe, and we've just got to leave that option open, guys. <laughs> so the button on the episode is that Zek has learned nothing because there is still money to be made in the Mirror Universe. This this adventure this this failed adventure uh didn't teach him a goddamn thing yeah there's and he plans on coming back certain kinds of powerful men that don't learn lessons and yeah. uh zach is one of them they're sort of a lesbian slide whistle to theme when mirror universe lita comes out and suggests debriefing mesri who uh i <laughs> Can you imagine a a costume designer uh, working with Chase Masterson going like, now in the mirror universe, you're going to be wearing an even lower cut dress. <laughs> Try to imagine this. She said, she's like, I didn't think that the scientists had made that possible yet. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it looks like Mirror Lita might be uh, Esri's type. So they go away together so that Esri can be debriefed in a manner of speaking. Green, green, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say them all. Did you like the episode, Adam? You really want to do this here? Now, okay, okay, let's do it! The Mirror Universe is like, is the ultimate cheat code for writing a show, and it short circuits greatest gen really <laughs> as as a way to to criticize it in any way yeah it's it's the sabot in our show gears <laughs> so of course i can't be the person that says they didn't like it this episode like every mirror episode is insane and doesn't make any sense and doesn't hang together logically in any way but yeah it's it's super fun and that's all it's supposed to be yeah i th- it actually had some some like authentically funny jokes which i didn't see coming you know i don't like the cheap sexual politics of it but that's just like 98 and that's not to say that that i forgive it for being 98 but also like it's it's eye rolly yeah yeah whatever that's some cheap heat it's cheap heat we don't need it but I'd say that if you're going to write a episode of Deep Space Nine that has kind of mad hijinks and good comedy in it, that's uh, that's something that they achieve on a fairly rare basis. And I feel like season seven has actually been really good for comedy on this show. Yeah. Yeah. Surprisingly. The funniest season of Deep Space Nine. (laughs) Is this it for the Mirror Universe in Deep Space Nine? Do they go back between now and the, the series finale? 
I, I can't do that. I right? don't it's know the much. answer to that. I feel yeah. I, hmm. I feel like they have a couple more like eight episode arcs on the on the way. So <laughs> probably be pretty hard to get a, right. a mirror universe thing snuck in when they're trying to tie as many threads together as that implies. Was there mirror universe in Voyager? Well, maybe there isn't because wasn't uh, wasn't the comic book that we were in the first mirror universe Voyager thing? Oh yeah. Yeah, I think so. In this universe, the Kazon are super charitable. <laughs> it's so bizarre that Star Trek Discovery saw these Mirror Universe episodes and went like, we can do something with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And to their credit, they did. Yeah. They fucking did it. Pretty fun. Yeah. Well, uh, whenever we look at our pile of Priority One messages, I think... We can do something with that. <laughs> so let's uh, let's head over there and see what we got, Ben. Let's do it, bud. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, we have a couple of priority one messages here. The first one is from Anonymous, and it's to Ben and Adam. Oh, no. Are we going to have, like, guys in V for Vendetta masks protesting outside of our recording studios? Please don't dox us. <laughs> if I get doxed, I'm just not going to do the show anymore. So don't do that. Wow. Uh, I guess I'll just, like, try and, like, mimic your voice for the other half of it. Yeah, good luck with that. Uh, anyways, here's the message. Dear Ben and Adam... In 1993, so... You're going to have to turn on the, the prepubescent filter <laughs> in Adobe Audition. Yeah. Dear Ben and Adam, in 1993, some nerds and I were a little bit embarrassed to build NCC-1701D for our homecoming parade. In 1994, I was a little bit embarrassed to cut class to go to a Star Trek exhibit at the museum. In 2020, I was a little bit embarrassed by the pace at which I listened to your podcast. It has been great fun. Thank you. Wow. I, uh, I'm i glad, first of all, that this was anonymized. That's smart. Yeah. I also went to a museum exhibit about Star Trek. Do you remember going to this in the mid-'90s? Yeah. There was a, a touring exhibit uh, with, like, with props and, I want to say, a, a bridge mock-up yeah, yeah. and some... Interactives. I went to it in Washington, D.C. at the Air and Space Museum, and then I think I went to it again yeah. when it came to San Francisco. Yeah, I went a couple times, too. <laughs> <laughs> With this uh, homecoming parade, Big D, do you think Anonymous is describing a parade float? Was this a car-scale NCC-1701D? Anonymous, I would really like to see pictures. Yeah. I think... I'd you know pictures exist of any homecoming parade. Uh, let's see this float. Yeah, that sounds really cool. <laughs> yeah, sounds cool as hell. Like, is it a, is it like a rose parade where where it's all it's all flowered? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh or yeah. They they rendered it in in petals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah find a bunch of gray roses. Yeah. Ben, our second priority one message is from your nibble, and it is to nibble. <laughs> The message goes like this. Lick. It's been a year since I wasn't even a little embarrassed 
to walk down the aisle to the DS9 theme because it was with you. Whoa. <laughs> the intervening time has been crazy, but I'm thankful every day to be going through it together because I don't know how I could do it any other way. Here's two continuing voyages once we can go outside. Cool. Nibble and Nibble sound like a great couple. The instructions, if you're wondering why there was such a long pause after the word lick, uh-huh. instructions say pause long enough for him to think I wasted a Jumbotron on one word. <laughs> so, uh, Nibble, I hope I hope I made you think that uh, you, both me and your Nibble did a bit. That's fun. On you. That's great. Well, if you'd like to get a Priority One message on the show... It is easy to do so. You go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It is 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message. And we really appreciate it because it helps us cover the cost of making the program. Get out ahead of it. We're, uh, we're, we're into mid-March now, according to this calendar. And uh, this calendar will be weeks old by the time you log on. So, right. uh, so think... Think well in advance about what you would like your P1 to be. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it. With Squarespace. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. 
We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! Yeah, it's the guy Worf punches in the face. Because that, that scene, Worf is like, hey, guy, why don't you come over here and... Uh, and and come over here or whatever, <laughs> and the guy's like, doo, 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 doo. "Hey, Worf, what's going on?" Ooh! Blast <laughs> that that poor guy. Yeah, he 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 seems too gullible for the for the mirror universe. Yeah, because he should have seen that coming. You want? He's kind of the George McFly of the mirror universe. <laughs> that guy, and uh, and for that reason, he's going to be my drunk Shimoda. He's literally a punching bag. Yeah. Um. My drunk Shimoda is also a Klingon on that ship. It's the guard in the brig mm-hmm. that is, you know, he's the one that like opens and closes the force field a couple of times when Ram and Ezri are arguing. And uh, he just, he's like, when you're casting for Klingon warrior, I can't believe they cast this guy because he's just like, he looks like a very scrawny teen who hasn't filled out yet. You know what? I was going to make an observation related that to that, which is every Klingon's voice who isn't Worf has a real like normal guy voice. Like, hey, Worf, uh, this is Jeff over here at Tactical. <laughs> Uh, do you need me to uh, to do anything, like firing the phasers or whatever? Hey, like, there's uh, a- we're detecting the Defiant on long-range sensors. <laughs> There isn't even an attempt to insert any growl or affectation in the, into the voices, and I thought that was a strange decision. It was, it was like weird Klingons in this episode, and that guy kind of was <laughs> yeah. was emblematic of that because I just feel like, like I'm not body shaming him. I'm just saying like that's not the customary casting for Klingon warrior that we see on this show, and I wondered what was up with with that. It's it's a little like. Uh, like if you watch a football game, the kickers wear a different amount of padding right. than other football players, and it felt like a few of the Klingon warriors had had kicker padding. <laughs> yeah, he just had that one bar across his face. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm used to seeing linebackers on those Klingon ships. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Fun. What happened to their jacked Klingons on the Alliance? <laughs> Maybe they all died. Yeah. 
That's uh, that's one of the many things that's befallen them in the mirror universe. Yeah. Well, the uh, the thing that befalls us at the end of every episode is the the confrontation with the game of buttholes, rule of the prophets. Uh, it's the thing that's going to tell us and everyone else how we're going to experience the next episode. All too true, Adam. The next episode is season seven, episode thirteen. Field of Fire, Ezri <laughs> summons the suppressed homicidal memories of a previous Dax incarnation in order to solve a series of murders. There's a killer on the loose on the station, Adam, and Ezri's going to have to become a killer in order to catch a killer. I love that a few episodes ago, you and I were like, what is the point of Ezri? <laughs> What is she even doing here? They're not giving her anything to do. And now it's like all Esri all the time. Yeah, it's it's the Esri show and everybody else is just an extra. Yeah. All right, Adam, I'm going to head over to the Game of Buttholes, The Will of the Prophets, where our runabout is currently on square 37. Uh, and I'm going to go ahead and roll this bone. There's nothing we could hit. We're, it's a regular episode. We are just determining how much closer to that Mornhammered square we are getting right now. So Give us a big roll. Here we go. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. I gave a pretty big roll. I gave us a, a four. We're on square 41. Regular episode, but it puts a Coco No-No in range of that runabout. Hey, that's nice. Yeah. It gets us another row up. It does. We, we've, we've snaked up to the next row. So uh, regular episode for next week. I'm really looking forward to it. In the meantime, I'm really looking forward to Friends of DeSoto who are in a position to do so. Heading over to MaximumFun.org slash join and becoming a sustaining member of The Greatest Generation. That's right. Uh, those who support the greatest generation are the reason we're able to keep making this dumb show. We really love making it for you. You know, it's it's a uh, yeah. It is a <laughs> it's something I look forward to every week. If we didn't love making this show, Ben wouldn't currently be in a hot closet uh, without air conditioning, and uh, and I wouldn't have had to hang up a bunch of bed linens uh, <laughs> across a wall in order to uh, improve a sound situation. Yeah. Adam's wife is taking calls in the other room, but you wouldn't know it because we take this seriously. Anyways. Uh, hey, guess who crossed a million subscribers on his YouTube channel, Adam? Shut up. Adam Ragusia rocketing into the YouTube stratosphere with his great YouTube cooking channel. Of course, he's beloved to the Friends of DeSoto because he made all the custom theme music for this show. On the model of Dark Materia's Picard song. We, we love the goose. Go check out his channel. He's making the theme music and interstitial music for the next version of The Greatest Generation. Yeah. Also, he's agreed to it. It's happening. It's happening. Fingers crossed. Love it. <laughs> Fingers crossed that he's not like, just like, eh, I'm actually kind of way too famous for this now, so I don't, uh, I don't need you little pipsqueaks anymore. The thing about the goose is that he says he's going to do a thing, and then he does that thing. That's true. He's one of the best in the biz. Uh, another best in the biz award goes to the great Bill Tilly, who runs the at Greatest Trek social media accounts on Instagram and Twitter. 
go check out at Greatest Trek. It's it's this show. It's the Greatest Discovery. It's lots of fun stuff. He's uh, he's got like great content on both things. There, and it's not just a Instagram that's a clone of a Twitter and vice versa. They're two totally different accounts. I think you get fun stuff out of following both. Hey, check out the other shows that Ben and I do. Uh, by the time this episode comes out, we will be several episodes into uh, Star Trek Discovery Season 3. If you're in a long line somewhere, uh, watch some episodes on your phone and then download The Greatest Discovery. We also have, God, so many episodes of Friendly Fire, the hit war movie podcast uh, that we love making with our pal John Roderick. It's true. Download some maps of that. Really great fun over there on Friendly Fire. It's a good time. Uh, with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and hopefully a little more hope for the future. Fingers crossed. Go vote. Vote. Vote, vote Org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.